G'day. We hope you're enjoying our podcast. Producing a podcast is costly, both time and money. If you'd like to show your support and offer a one-off payment, even the price of a coffee or a beer, that'd be greatly appreciated and would go a long way to support us. If you'd like to leave a donation, head to the show notes of this episode and click on the ACAST supporter link. Be sure to leave your message of support too. Thanks again. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The thoughts and opinions shared in this podcast are just that. It's up to the listener to decide what is true and what is not true. This podcast contains coarse language, references to violence, sexual abuse and murder, and may not be suitable for everyone. Discretion is advised. Hi, my name's Graeme Stafford. I have not been involved in the production of this podcast, but have been invited to tell my side of the story. In 1991, I was sentenced to life in prison for the murder of Leanne Holland, a murder I did not commit. This is not my story. This is the story of the murder of Leanne Holland and a search for the truth, a search that continues to this day. Previously, on Who Killed Leanne Holland? It's just not normal to go from zero to a hundred in these types of crimes. Um, the witness who saw a car out at the body disposal site on the Wednesday morning, which they later uh, said was Graham Stafford's car, and then later again said it wasn't Graham Stafford's car, also saw a an old white ambulance follow that car into the bush. I mean, if you've got uh, someone who's committing a crime um, in the motivation of sexual activity, uh, you know, I guess you could be looking at two different types. One is someone who uh, is what we would term a preferential offender, so they're looking for a person at that age to engage in that kind of behaviour. Uh, alternatively, it could be someone who's a situational, so they've just come across the victim by chance and they've taken uh, that opportunity to commit the offence. So. As they were very close in size, Leanne Holland was known to wear Graham Stafford's clothes from time to time. The transfers of fibres, DNA, etc. between Graham Stafford and Leanne Holland would be expected. The report must have been released by someone close to the investigation. With Atkinson and Stewart now gone, the list of persons close to the investigation narrows considerably. It really makes you wonder what is in that report. A 610 Media Production. This is Who Killed Leanne Holland. Chapter 11. The Usual Suspects. So, welcome to Who Killed Leanne Holland. This is Chapter 11. The Usual Suspects. So, g'day Graham. How are you doing this fortnight, mate? Excellent, thanks, Jamie. And uh, you? Yeah, mate, doing pretty well, thank you. That's all right. We've had a fair bit of feedback um, this chapter, mate, and I've selected just a few to talk about. But before we do, I just want to say, you know, we do read everyone's feedback. We do read your reviews on um, Apple Podcasts and Facebook and so forth. We might not get back to everybody, but we do read them. So, yeah, send them in, guys. Thank you very much. Okay, this person doesn't want their name mentioned, but they say... Firstly, what an amazing job. Graham's dedication to this is unwavering. Despite the fact that I went back and watched the Australian story, where he said he didn't think he could go any further after that. Was anyone ever investigated regarding the leak of the police review to Seven? And given they have had it, are the contents of that known to Graham and Jamie? I know you did have a guest that had seen it, but didn't really reveal the content. Well done, Graham and Jamie. I only wish the episodes came out quicker. Well... I haven't read it. Uh, Joe Crowley has scanned it. I was shown a summary of the police review. We talk about it in depth in two chapters where we spend the entire chapter talking about the police review, so perhaps we can cover that subject then. 
Okay, this one's from Stacey Burgess. She says, great episode, referring to chapter 10. Just to clarify, Graham Stafford is not the youngest. He has a younger sister. Yes, that, <laughs> that was my bad. Sorry, Stacey. Yep, just slipped our mind. Emma Boose, I think I'm saying that right, says, love the stuff with Anne, nearly motivates me enough to go back to uni and study criminology. Actually, Jamie, that's reminded me to mention that I receive emails from university students seeking information about the case, usually for a subject they are studying in connection with their degree. And I've received some six such emails in the past three months. And they're studying um, law or criminology or something associated with that, even a police degree. The common thread is this. I'm studying law, criminology, etc. And as part of my current subject, I'm doing a report on miscarriages of justice. And I have decided to write my report on the Graham Stafford case. What I find interesting is that universities around Queensland have concluded this is a miscarriage of justice and worthy of studying. Yeah, it's quite a popular case amongst students, isn't it? Yes, it is, yeah. And uh, Sean Kitching, I've seen his name pop up a few times. He's quite active on the Facebook. But, um, yeah, Sean Kitching says, very interesting to hear about the white ambulance-type vehicle and the possible connection with Bailey Street, which is only a short stroll from the house on Alice Street. Obviously, this is not your typical-looking vehicle, and you would expect it to stand out to people. You wouldn't think it would be too difficult to find out who owned this. Looking forward to hearing more about that. Yeah, well, the problem, of course, is that we're talking 27, 28 years ago, so therein lies the problem. But I agree totally, it is an an unusual vehicle, and um, we'll see how we go. As you probably are aware, we have started a petition to raise interest for a coronial inquest into Leanne's murder. Uh, thank you to everyone who has signed that and shared it, but we really need the traction here. We really need other people to share it, get behind it, sign it. Do you know how many signatures we have at the moment, Graham? Currently 2,069. Oh, excellent. So, yeah, it'd be great to um, bump that up. 20,069 would be better. Yes. Yes, I agree. But, yeah, yeah, thank you again for everyone who has signed that petition. Yes, thank you. And also, we host our podcast with ACAST, and ACAST have started a platform for people to donate to the podcasters. So we signed up for it. We think it's a good idea. Um, You know, if anyone wants to donate to us and help us produce a better podcast, you can head to the link in the show notes and click that, and you can uh, support us at the price of a coffee, and that'd be great. If you are interested in that, we would appreciate that. So thank you very much. Yes, thank you. That would just help um, with the cost of production. As Jamie said, we think if you could spare the price of a cup of coffee, that would be fantastic. A few chapters back, we discussed the garbage bag photos because you raised the question that they might have been different colour, one green, one black, or were they black or were they green? Or a combination of both. Yes, that's right. Green is the new black. Exactly. So where are we with that? This week, I've applied to the Queensland Police for the photos of the garbage bags that were taken from the Holland House. Now, everything being normal, we should have those photos within 14 to 21 days. If the police uh, decide that they're being uncooperative, we should see them in some time up to three years. Watch this space. So, Graeme, in the last chapter, we discussed profiling and gave a profile of the offender as provided by criminal profilers. In this chapter, we discuss various possible alternate suspects. So we're looking at a person's character and behaviour, past and present. Yes, that's right. So in your years of investigations, you came across notable suspects, didn't you? That's right, yep. Now, you mentioned to me those suspects came to your attention at various times between 92 and 2008. And through that, you identified a number of persons who could have been involved in the murder of Leanne Holland. But it is very difficult, in my understanding, to conduct a solo murder investigation, isn't it? Absolutely. And, you know, you did all that without the resources that the police have. So, you know, you're limited to begin with. Very difficult doing a one-man murder investigation, Jamie. Trust me. And so you were telling me that some of the persons you identified were standout, very suspicious, but you just 
didn't have the resources to go after them all with full capacity. But out of all of the people that you investigated and identified, three men were so compelling, they need special attention. Absolutely. And you provided their details, as well as others, to investigators when a police review of the case was announced in 2010. Were those suspects considered or interviewed during the police review? We have no idea. The cloak of secrecy in the Queensland Police Service is well worn, with no apology or explanation. Graeme, were you ever given any feedback by the Queensland Police Service during or after their two-year investigation? No, not at all, mate. None. So... This brings us to Sean McFederan. We're going to talk about Sean McFederan and compare his character and behaviour against the profile of the killer as worked up by criminologist Anne McMahon. I, th- I think that's the best place to start, Jamie. You know, we talked about the profiling last chapter. We now have an idea of the person that a criminologist believed uh, killed Leanne. We've spoken about Graham Stafford's profile. So let's have a look at these alternate suspects that uh, I was able to locate during my inquiries. And, um, Jamie, I've got to tell you, Sean was easily the first and most logical suspect for this murder. Leanne was murdered on the 23rd of September or most probably the 24th of September, 1991, a Tuesday. On Wednesday, the 16th of October, some three weeks later, Julianne Lowe, who was also 12 years old, was murdered at Goodner less than 900 metres away from Leanne Holland's house on the banks of Woogaroo Creek. And I've taken you, I've shown you where uh, Woogaroo Creek is. It's, it's, uh, it's within Goodner, it's within walking distance Leanne Holland's house, it's within walking distance of the shops there in Queen Street and uh, it's on the banks of the um, Goodner Caravan Park. Julianne Lowe was on her way to school that morning on the Wednesday the 16th of October and... Sean McFedron, who was living in the caravan park at Goodner, uh, murdered her. He drowned her. He was arrested the same day. Uh, Graham Stafford was not a suspect because he was in custody. Leanne Holland was a frequent visitor to the caravan park where Sean McFedron was living, as was Trisha Lynch, her best friend. And McFedron was living in a tent in the caravan park after being evicted from his home by his parents due to his violent behaviour. And by one definition, Sean, with that murder, became a serial killer. Mm. And let that sink in for a bit. I mean, this is good now. I mean, I know it's not, you know, the most upper class place, but two, you know, young girls get murdered within one month. That's, that doesn't happen. No, well... I don't believe it happens. In a short space of time, in the same locale, two 12-year-old girls murdered. The Queensland police rejected any association between the murders out of hand, claiming the means of death was different. Therefore, they were not related. They also said McFedrin could not drive a car and therefore could not dispose of the body, which was very convenient. It does not explain or eliminate the possibility he was an accomplice. And this same line of thinking was replicated almost word for word by the Crown Prosecutor at the trial of Graham Stafford. But I've got to say, Jamie, to suggest that Sean McFedron was not involved because Julianne Lowe was drowned and Leanne Holland was bashed is really nonsense and an insult to intelligence. There's literally hundreds of examples worldwide where offenders who commit more than one murder use a different type of weapon or method. When I was preparing this uh, chapter, by the way, I just did a quick Google search, which brought up many, many cases. And here's one. In 1993, in New South Wales in Australia, Edwin Street suffocated his wife Dawn and dumped her body in a creek nearby. Three months later, he stabbed his girlfriend, Linda Whitten, to death. Her body was found inside a suitcase. He was subsequently convicted and sentenced to life imprisonment. Two murders, two different methods of killing the victim and the same offender. But then there's Eric Edgar Cook. Now, this is in 1963 when he was apprehended, but he is Western Australia's most infamous serial killer. He killed eight people and attempted to kill 14 people. We were fortunate enough to speak to Estelle Blackburn, who was a highly esteemed and regarded journalist from Western Australia, 
and she's written a book about Cook. Here's what she had to say. Estelle, thanks for your time today. Now, now you've, uh, you know a lot about Eric Edgar Cook. I wonder if you could tell us about him. Yes, I, I studied him for six years and eventually wrote a book which had for the first time ever all the information of the life and crimes about Eric Edgar Cook. So I know him well. He ended up killing, murdering eight people and attempting to murder murder a further 14 who by miracles in many of the cases managed to survive. So 22 violent crimes by the time he was caught at the age of 31 and he was the last person executed in Western Australia. Executed in 1964, his crimes went, the, the violent crimes went over five years from 58 to 63. Cook, Cook was Western Australia's greatest serial killer. But what was most interesting about Cook, and I think what contributed to taking so long to catching him, was that he was the most unusual serial killer in that he used four MOs. He shot, stabbed, strangled, and hit, did hit runs in stolen cars. Uh, he shot... In the end, he shot six people. He stabbed two and attempted to kill by stabbing another five. He strangled one and and he ran down, did hit runs, killing one and uh, attempting to kill a further seven. So of the 22 violent crimes, there were four MOs and that was a unusual in a serial killer. Like almost the definition of a serial killer is it's exactly the same every time. And that the police did not link them at all. They had a shooter on the on Australia Day, 26th of January, 1963. He shot five people in one night. Two died instantly, Three, di one died later and two got away with injuries. Two weeks later, he... Two weeks later, he ran down a girl in a stolen car. That was certainly not related. They got the boyfriend for that. It's quite so often the boyfriend or a family member who's the first one they're interested in. And one week later again, he strangled someone. So they were they got the boyfriend for the rundown. When 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 somebody when a girl was strangled, three weeks after. Five people were shot in one night. They never thought of connecting the two. Suddenly, Perth had two murderers, a shooter and a strangler. They, it just never occurred to them. And then in between that, he'd run down someone with a car and then he shot, he got another rifle and shot again in seven months' time. So they, they connected the shootings that they thought they had one murderer when they had a shooter, a stabber, a strangler and a hit down with stolen cars uh, they were ne they were never connected and in fact once he was at once he was caught uh, it was quite obvious that he'd shot the last person when he started confessing uh, at least he was he, he was a good Catholic and once he was caught and his game was up with society he confessed to everything he ever did and only when he confessed to, to those other MOs those other murders in great de detail did they get the huge surprise oh my god we've had just the one murderer all along so if you're ever in any doubt that offenders use different methods to kill just reflect on Edgar Eric Cook Graham, uh, you told me that when you spoke with uh, Sean McFedderin's arresting officer around 1992, he denied McFedderin was living at the Goodner Caravan Park, right? That's right, yep. And this is at the time that Leanne Holland was murdered, but he stated that he only started living there after the murder. Is that right? That's correct. That's what he told me. And he also claimed McFedderin didn't know Leanne. Was he the detective that tried to have you charged for interfering in a police investigation? Yes, he was, the first time round anyway. Oh, you didn't tell me about the second time? Oh, that was in the police review. We'll talk about that next in the next <laughs> chapter. <laughs> <laughs> okay, 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 okay. All right, so the manager of the caravan park gave the police the original document, um, but fortunately the manager retained a copy and he gave you a copy of McFedderin's accommodation history in the park and yes, McFedderin was living there at the time of the Leanne Holland murder. He moved into the caravan park on the 3rd of September 1991, three weeks before Leanne's murder. He described McFedderin as a loner and you could not get boo out of him. That is just crazy, eh? Like, he moves in three weeks before she's murdered 
to the caravan park, which is in very close proximity to Leanne. There is a link between the two people. Both victims are 12 years old. It's got sus written all over it. And, and you've got to wonder why the arresting police in the McFedrin case were so keen to tell me that, no, he didn't live there and then tried to have me charged with interfering in a police investigation. Really weird. But you're a private investigator at the time. That's, you're supposed to investigate. Correct. Yeah, I was. Anyway, I, I had done nothing wrong, so, you know, there was no charges ever laid, naturally. But just following on from that, I mentioned in, a, in an earlier chapter that, that I located Tricia Lynch living on the streets of King's Cross in Sydney uh, a few years after Leanne's murder. And when I spoke with her, she was able to confirm that she knew McFedrin, as did Leanne Holland. And uh, she confirmed that McFedrin and Leanne socialised together uh, when they were at the caravan park. And during that interview, I asked Tricia if uh, she had any further information implicating Graham Stafford in the murder that hadn't come out in the in the trial or or hadn't been told or or you know had come out since all she was able to say all she could remember was that uh, he looked at her funny once yeah okay you know there was no evidence of impropriety or him interfering with her or Leanne or any of the other young girls that they all knocked around with. And she had moved away, right? So if she wanted to open up and tell you everything, she could have told you, you know, whatever. Right. Yeah, well, that, that was New South Wales. She, she's a long way from Queensland. Yeah. Mm. But, and she also said something interesting. She used to stay at the Holland House for up to a week because she did not like her mother's male partner and avoided him whenever possible. And um, I often wondered why, you know, she'd want to want to leave for a week or more. Did you ever get a chance to talk to him or no, know who he no, is? They, no, they were gone. They, they were evicted. Uh, her, her mother and, his, and her partner were evicted from the Goodner Caravan Park about two or three months after the murder. And uh, I believe they went back to Tasmania. Yeah, that would be very interesting to talk to those people, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. Yep. Which, which leads to this next thing. Because during the investigation um, and following media exposure, a woman who actually, she gave evidence at the trial, but she contacted me anyway. And uh, she said that uh, she used to work at the Rorona Hotel, which is on the Ipswich Motorway. And in a straight line from the caravan park, it's only 500 metres. It's, it's basically, as you know, the, the motorway goes out from Brisbane out to Ipswich and Goodner is, is on one side and on the other. So you've got the caravan park, you've got the hotel, and then you've got the shopping centre all in one line. And uh, so she used to work in the hotel. And on the Monday, the 23rd of September, she was working in the bottle shop of the hotel after lunch. And a woman came in, accompanied by two teenage girls of about the same age, young teenage girls. And the woman purchased a bottle of rum. And as they went through the checkout, the woman thought that one of the girls was Leanne Holland. She hadn't seen her for a while, so she wasn't sure. And she was about to say, is that you, Leanne? But she didn't. And uh, she, she told me she felt awful for a long time after that, that she hadn't asked the question. And I've got to tell you, Jamie, I still wonder to this day whether that was Leanne, Trisha and her mother. Another interesting aspect of this case was that in early 1993, I spoke at length with Gay McFedrin, the, the mother of Sean McFedrin, and uh, she told me that she was of the opinion that Sean was involved in the death of Leanne. He, he was the mother saying that she thought her son was involved in Leanne's murder. Wow. She wondered if he had been present when Leanne was murdered and that caused him to go out and commit his own murder which sort of makes sense given the complex character that he is. She also told me that he could drive a car. He regularly took her car, usually without her permission, that he had a fascination with the occult. He watched violent and porno movies all day. He'd driven to the Tawong Cemetery at night with others. She told me really bizarre stories regarding his siblings. She suspected that when he was about four years old, he drowned his brother in the bath. You're kidding. Nope. That's what she told me. And as you'll hear, she actually gave that evidence at Sean's trial. 
she believes that he drowned his brother at when he was four years old. He was constantly trying to drown his older brother in the swimming pool. He tried to give his sister an overdose of pills. He had a friend with him. They held her down. They gave her an overdose and she had to have a stomach pumped. Really, really bizarre stuff. Um, and at the start of September 1991, they had to evict him from the house because of his violent behaviour. And he moved into the caravan park in a small tent. And then you'll never guess. From there, I went and spoke to the investigating detective and the next time I went to speak to Gay, I was told that I wasn't welcome there because the detectives had told her I was spreading lies about uh, Sean. Which is interesting because she did tell you that she believes that her son might have been involved and then all of a sudden she's telling you. Sure. Yeah. She's spreading lies about him. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that Sean's mother said that he could drive and would often take her car without asking. Do you know what kind of car that was by any chance? From memory, it was a VW uh, van, transporter van. Okay. So, and you have recently spoke with Gay McFederin um, just like a month ago, I believe, in uh, June. Yes, unfortunately, she. Um, I asked her if she'd come on the uh, podcast, but she declined. I also asked her if she'd give us um, the contact details from her daughter to discuss that matter of the drug overdose, but uh, she declined to, to give us those details. But she did give evidence at her son's murder trial back in the early 90s. This is what the newspapers reported her evidence as. This is not her real voice. Mrs McFedron of Gales said her son Sean, who has pleaded not guilty to murder, was about four and a half years old when he drowned his three-year-old brother Jason. Sean was having a bath with Jason, Mrs McFedron said. Everything went quiet and then Sean raced out to go to the toilet. My brother went in and found Jason blue in the face in the bathtub. She said her husband tried to resuscitate Jason, but the boy died. Mrs McFedron said Sean, who had tried to commit suicide twice, slept with a knife under his bed because he feared the devil would cut him open and drink his blood for not doing as he was told. He was fascinated by witchcraft, she said. She said he had library books on witchcraft, had gone to the Tuong Cemetery where he said babies were sacrificed read pornographic magazines and watched pornographic and violent movies. Mrs McFedron said he rarely went out, had only two male friends, no female friends and had to be forced to have a shower. He used a towel when there was no toilet paper and threw the towel on the bathroom floor. She said one night, before she threw him out of the house because the family could not cope anymore, he walked around the backyard in the rain with a metal bar talking to himself. Sean was diagnosed as a chronic psychotic schizophrenic with a drowning fixation. The condition is not treatable. That's right, Jamie. I'm not sure about the, the drowning fixation. I'm, uh, I guess he did have a drowning fixation, but he also had other fixations as well. When I was making inquiries into him, I found that at age six in grade one at school, apparently Sean was sort of like a big boy for his age, he tried to strangle a fellow classmate, a girl, and uh, the kids who were present were not able to pull him off her. That he was just too strong. It was just the intervention of a teacher; otherwise, he would have killed her. And uh, I was I was able to speak to the girl involved, and I was able to speak to the teacher involved, and they both corroborated the story that he almost strangled this girl to death. It begs the question. Would you expect someone to commit a murder like Leanne Holland's murder? Would they have any previous history? Dr. Terry Goldsworthy, we spoke to him last episode. This is what he had to say. Well, it may not be uh, you know, always the case that there's a history of violence. Um, you know, usually you'd expect there may have been some lower-level offending, some sexual behaviours, and then uh, you'd move into this type of offending. If you look, for example, the Daniel Morecambe case, uh, the fellow involved in that had a history of very violent offending against children. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Jamie, at the time of Sean's arrest, and this is really interesting too, I think, and important, it, it gives an insight into the guy, I hope, when they did the review, that they they fleshed out all this stuff. When Sean was arrested, he was working casually as a trolley collector at the Red Bank Plains Shopping Centre. I was able to interview two fellow employees and his employer, and according to his workmates, he was OCD in relation to his work and always turned up. Never, ever missed a shift, except for the week of Leanne Holland's murder. He was a no-show. Monday through Wednesday. Here's a guy who's OCD in relation to his work, yet he's a no-show for those days, those critical days. And his employer confirmed that to me, and he gave me Sean's timesheet to prove that he wasn't there that Monday through Wednesday. And, you know, Sean had very, very few friends, and his mother confirmed that. But I was able to identify a friend of his who drove an old red Tyrannosized sedan, which was sold to the wreckers in 1992. And like I said before, you know, okay, just because Sean couldn't drive doesn't mean that he wasn't involved. Yeah. Like, that's just nonsense. And what about um, a Tirana? Like, for the people who don't know what a Tirana is, it is a small sedan similar to a Gemini. Correct. Yep. And Graham Stafford had a Gemini. And also, for the people who forgot, Red Bank Plains Shopping Centre, where Sean worked, is the same location, uh, the same suburb where Leanne's body was found. It's also, uh, how many kilometres from Goodnow is it, Red Bank Plains? Well, the shopping centre from um, from the Holland House is probably about eight kilometres or seven kilometres, and where the body was dumped is 10 kilometres. Yeah, right. But they're sort of, they're in they they are both in Red Bank Plains, but they're not in one's on one side of Red Bank Plains and the other's on the other side. Yeah, okay. So around nineteen ninety three I was able to speak to Sean McFedrin in prison, actually, by via telephone. I I rang up just to make inquiries to see if he was actually in that prison. They said, Hang on a minute and he come on the phone. <laughs> which really Oh wow. <laughs> which really um Took me off uh, off guard. Anyway. It doesn't happen that way anymore, mate. It's different <laughs> these days. Yeah. So I, I put it straight on him. I asked him if he's involved in the murder of Leanne Holland, but he deflected the question. He And what he said was, no, I was charged with the murder of Julianne Lowe, which which I also found interesting. Yeah, that's, that is a strange way to answer it. It is, yeah. So when you say deflected, you mean you said, were you involved in the murder? And he said, I was charged with the murder of Julianne Lowe. Yeah. That kind of thing? Yes, that's right. You could just say no. He, yes, he didn't say no. He didn't deny it. He just said, no, no, I was, I was charged with the murder of, uh, of Julian Lowe. Mm. Okay, so Sean McFederan uh, remains incarcerated in the psychiatric prison in Brisbane's western suburbs. Um, his condition is not treatable. It's understood that he will never be released. Did McFederan murder Leanne Holland? We don't know. If he did, we don't believe he was alone. Did he know pedophile Pete or Mark Thomas Noble or both? And we should tell you that we don't believe in coincidences. We strongly believe there is a connection between both murders. You will recall criminologist Anne McMahon from Chapter 10. She made this startling comment, which we consider was worthy of repeating. Again, another study in 2017 of um, Northwestern University School of Medicine the researchers there found that individuals who only killed children, or in other words, they had never killed adults, they uh, had poor communication skills, poor, poor problem-solving abilities, and are often mentally ill. And they also tend to kill impulsively using manual methods. And their example was beating or drowning. It will be interesting when your listeners hear about the list of the other suspects that you've compiled. And you will also remember that Anne profiled the killer of Leanne. May have had mental issues in the past and received treatment. White male, age 16 to late 30s. 
below average intelligence and maybe a high school dropout. May come from a lower to middle class family, the youngest or one of the youngest family members. May have had a strict upbringing, does not own a vehicle, never been in the military, unemployed, socially inadequate, underachiever, poor self-image, appearance and behaviour considered odd, may have a thin stature, may have acne, prior arrests, may have exhibited behaviours that included cruelty to animals, setting fires or bedwetting as a child, a loner, rejects society and believes society rejects him, nocturnal, lives near the crime scene. Now this is Sean McFedrin's profile for comparison with the above profile of the uh, killer as worked up by Anne. So Sean McFedrin at the time of his arrest was a white male, 18 years of age, a chronic psychotic schizophrenic, below average intelligence, did not own a vehicle, never been in the military, casual employment of a menial nature, socially inadequate, poor personal hygiene, a loner, appearance and behaviour considered odd, and lives near the crime scene. Apparently, Queensland Police eliminated him as a suspect during the view. But Jamie, there are just so many unanswered questions surrounding Sean McFedron and the murder of Leanne. For instance, did the Queensland Police speak with his employer and those fellow employees as I did regarding his disappearance from work the week Leanne was murdered, and did they flesh that out? Did they track down McFedron's mother's vehicle, the van? Were Queensland police able to locate Trisha Lynch, her mother, and her mother's then partner? Were they able to speak with them? Were they able to eliminate all three of them as possible suspects in the murder? As I've previously stated, and at the risk of repeating myself, I hope they looked at these suspects' activities after 4.30pm on Monday the 23rd of September and not just up to that time. But I tell you, when I compare the profile of Sean McFedron with that of Graeme Stafford and against the profile of the killer, I know who I think more likely to have committed the murder. And that leads us to Mark Thomas Noble. So we will talk about him and then compare his character and behaviour against the profile of the killer as worked out by criminologist Anne McMahon. Jamie, I've got to tell you, if I was hot for Sean McFedron as a suspect, that all changed when I became aware of Mark Thomas Noble. And by the same definition source that we've discussed earlier, Noble could also be described as a serial killer. In 2006, Paul Wilson was contacted by a female uh, by email, and this is part of the email that she wrote. This email is read out by a voice actor. Hi, Paul. I have a story to tell that has haunted me for years. It was not until I saw an article in the paper about your book that I realised that I now had a name for the young girl, a girl whose death had been told to me in a drug alcohol fueled state by a girl called Selena that I shared a house with in 1994, whose boyfriend was in jail at the time for armed robbery. Selena was terrified because her manic boyfriend was due to be released soon from prison. We were very close friends at the time and heavy drug users. I no longer use drugs. She told me that she knew what he was capable of and that he'd already killed a young girl once a couple of years ago just to feel what it was like to kill someone. She told me that it happened near the beehives out towards Red Bank Plains. She told me that that she knew because one of the gang that he ran with, he was the leader, told her that he was there and others and that her boyfriend, Stephen, made them do stuff to the body after he killed her so they would never tell what they had done. She told me other stuff about this man. He molested their eight-year-old girl. He was a drug user and a criminal. This story was told to me in mid-1994. This man, Stephen, can't remember last name, was in prison for an armed robbery at an antique store that had gone wrong. The shopkeeper pulled a gun and shot them both. His mate, I think, later died, but he managed to escape back to his house at Caboolture in King Street with pellets in his head. His girlfriend, Selena, told me she was picking them out of his head when the police captured him. They lived out near Goodno, Breadback Plains previously, she had told me. Investigative reporter Daryl Giles and myself travelled to the Gold Coast and interviewed the author of the email. She corroborated what she had written to Paul Wilson and we considered her a reliable and credible witness. We were unable to locate the woman she mentioned in the email. 
From the information she provided, we were able to identify the male referred to not as Stephen, but as Mark Thomas Noble, and we were able to find out that the other offender did not die but was very seriously wounded in the shooting. And we established that in 2005, Noble was arrested for a murder in Hobart, Tasmania and sentenced to 19 years imprisonment. He killed a man with an axe and a hammer, would you believe? And the method of killing the victim was eerily similar to the injuries inflicted on Leanne Holland. We, we were just gobsmacked. He struck the deceased repeatedly around the head and body with the axe and the hammer. Daryl Giles was able to talk to the arresting officer who had had previous dealings with Noble and uh, he stated he was not surprised when he was charged with murder. He described Noble in these words to uh, reporter Daryl. A violent, sadistic, lifetime criminal who liked to hurt females. Now, I find that scary. You know, Graham, I've had a look at Noble's criminal history, and he had a lengthy, violent criminal history. He had convictions in Western Australia, Queensland, Tasmania, that we're aware of anyway. And the first recorded conviction was at 16 years of age for stealing cars, and he was a persistent offender in his teens. There were numerous breaking and entering offences as well as stealing offences. And as an adult, Noble was convicted in 1989 of eight offences of unlawful use of a motor vehicle or stealing a car and armed robbery in company. At the age of 23, there were also some stealing offences and then got into drugs. So in 1989, he committed an armed robbery. Uh, on the Gold Coast with another career criminal. Uh, The victim shot both offenders with a shotgun and when the police burst into the house, Noble's girlfriend was plucking shotgun pellets out of the back of his head. He was jailed for three years but served 20 months for that offence. And from that record, Graham, you were able to match him up to the story told to you by that woman in the email. So is it possible that Noble was in the same prison as and knew pedophile Pete, who we discuss in the next chapter? That's a $64 question. Mm. So we do know he was living in Brisbane at the time of um, Leanne's murder. Did he kill Leanne Holland? Was he involved in the murder of Leanne Holland? We don't know. Did he perhaps live in Goodna Caravan Park for a time? He was from Tasmania. Trisha Lynch and her mother and her mother's partner were from Tasmania. Could Noble have known them or gotten to know them? We just don't know. This is the judge's comments when sentencing Noble for murder. We have read these out previously, but we believe they are so powerful and significant, they need to be repeated. This is not the judge's real voice. You continued to strike Mr. Buccino with the back of an axe and obtained a hammer with which you struck him. Your initial blow severely fractured Mr. Buccino's skull. Additional injuries caused by your subsequent blows include a compound fracture of his left humerus, a fracture of the mid-shaft of his left femur, a fracture of the distal portion of his femur, extremely marked bruising of his right wrist, and a substantial number of other bruises, abrasions and lacerations. When you finally desisted, it must have been apparent to you that medical assistance should be summoned, regardless of what you thought Mr Buccino's wishes were and yet you placed a towel over him and a pillow under his head and went to bed. You are 39 years of age. Since the age of 16, you have been an alcoholic and addicted to amphetamines. You have also experimented with heroin to the point of overdosing on that drug. Your record includes convictions for crimes involving violence in respect of which you have, on three different occasions, served sentences of imprisonment, the last of which sentence was imposed in 2001. A very worthy suspect, Jamie. Incidentally, Noble's exploits featured in the true crime book, Gangland Robbers. I wrote to Noble in Risdon Jail, Hobart, but never received a reply. In my career, that's the first time I've ever written to a suspect asking them to confess to a killing. He was released uh, from prison on parole in 2016 after serving ten and a half years. At his parole hearing, the following comments were recorded and I thought they were They were worthy of sharing. The following comments are recorded by a voice actor. The applicant, Noble, was an alcoholic at the time of his offending behaviour. The circumstances of the offence were that he formed a relationship with a woman who had previously been the partner of the deceased. This gave rise to animosity in the relationship between Noble and the deceased. As a result of a belief by the deceased that Noble was behaving in a violent manner towards his partner, 
the deceased attended Noble's residence. While there, the parties engaged in the significant consumption of alcohol, which then led to the escalation of matters and ultimately Noble's attack upon the deceased with an axe striking his associate to the head. Having struck the deceased a number of times with the axe and also a hammer, Noble did not come to his aid, but rather went to bed and proceeded to alert the authorities regarding the death the next day. Noble has a criminal history which includes some matters of violence. Once again, my suspicions regarding uh, Mark Thomas Noble were passed to police investigators for the police review. And uh, we've since learned that police revealed that uh, Noble was implicated in a killing of an adult woman near a rubbish dump south of Brisbane. And they claimed he was not involved in killing a young girl near some beehives in western Brisbane. All I can say is someone got really, really confused. But unfortunately, that's all we know. So it looks like our efforts resulted in clearing a cold case murder, Jamie. So we will receive uh, thanks from the Queensland Police in due course, but not as yet, it seems. And I'm yet to see any press release um, by the QPS announcing that they have cleared a murder of a woman south of Brisbane near a rubbish dump, which I find intriguing, but perhaps I missed it. Yeah. So if either of those women who knew Noble and who Daryl Giles and I spoke with back in the 90s are listening, we would love for you to get in touch. Noble died in 2017 in Tasmania. So we know very little, but we found the following online obituary in Launceston, Tasmania. Mark Thomas Noble, 2301-1966 to 16th of the 4th, 2017. Son of Brian and Ruth Noble, brother to Tim, Passed away doing what he loved. Loved partner and best friend to Pam. Beloved friend to Trent and Samantha, Alana and Bryce, Harlem and Temper, Megan and Martin, Tony and Dylan, Rod and Mandy. We have attempted to locate and interview Noble's female partner at the time of the Hobart murder, Elizabeth Wells, but have not been able to do so. The arresting police officer said at the time she was well entrenched in the heavy drug scene and would be difficult to find. We found a number of persons by that name living in Tasmania, but the woman we spoke to had no knowledge of Noble. Uh, Despite identifying his parents as Brian and Ruth Noble and his brother as Tim Noble from the obituary, we simply have not been able to locate them anywhere in Tasmania. We eliminated all persons we could find. There are two telephone numbers that ring out at all times of the day and night, weekday and weekend. Ordinarily, we would just jump on a plane and go down and knock on the door. But with COVID-19, things are not that simple. This is what criminologist Anne McMahon had to say about offenders with previous history. We would normally expect to see um, at least some history of previous offences and in particular violent offences. Um, he... And I say he, his research shows that uh, perpetrators of this type of crime, they are usually men. Um, They may also have had a troubled upbringing. Um, Graham, it's just not normal to go from zero to 100 in these types of crimes. I mean, generally, perpetrators may begin um, their deviancy with less violent crimes. Jamie, this is a profile of Mark Thomas Noble from Known Information. Again, for comparison with the profile of the killer as compared with Graham Stafford. Noble was a white male, 25 years of age at the time of Leanne's murder. Numerous prior convictions, including violence and sexual assaults. According to one of the detectives, a violent, sadistic, lifetime criminal who liked to hurt females, was apparently living in the area at the time, confessed to killing a female child in the area at the time, went on to commit a murder in a similar manner to that of Leanne Holland. And once again, Queensland Police eliminated him as a suspect during their view. But there's so many unanswered questions regarding Mark Thomas Noble. Did they fly to Tasmania and interview him? How is it that these women have a recollection of him confessing to killing a female child in the western suburbs, but somehow this morphs into an adult woman in the southern suburbs of Brisbane? Did they explore any connection between Noble and pedophile Pete? or Trisha Lynch and her family, we can only wait and read the review. And we thought it worthwhile to compare the profile of Graham Stafford uh, with the two suspects we've just talked about, Mark Thomas Noble and Sean McFedderin. So here's Graham Stafford's profile. 
white male, 27 years at time of arrest, single, but in a relationship of 11 months with Melissa Holland. Prior to that, he was in two long-term relationships with women. Both those women support him today in his claim of innocence. In long-term stable employment, qualified as a motor mechanic. No evidence of physical violence to anyone, including women. No police record. No history of mental health issues. Denied involvement in murder. Maintains innocence 29 years later. Strong family ties and support. Strong family support continues to this day. Served 15 years imprisonment for murder. Exemplary conduct in prison. Four prison officers gave him written references. Completed courses whilst in prison and worked in various roles. Lived in the same house as the victim. No evidence of unusual conduct toward the victim or other women or girls. No evidence of assault on the victim. When I compare Noble's profile with that of Graham Stafford's against the profile of the killer, I know who I think more likely to have committed the murder, Jamie. So that's it for Chapter 11 of Who Killed Leanne Holland. Please join us next time where we continue our study of the usual suspects we consider more likely to have murdered Leanne than Graham Stafford. Uh, we devote a whole chapter to pedophile Pete. And not because we think he is the most likely suspect, but because there is just so much adverse information regarding him from many varied sources. He is such a dark character, a career criminal with a lengthy criminal history, a long association with Queensland Police, and still being arrested for sexual offences against young girls at 65 years of age. Thanks again for listening. Who Killed Leanne Holland is a 610 Media production. This episode was written and fact-checked by Graham Crowley. It was recorded, edited and theme song by Jamie Pultz. It was mixed and mastered by Alex Rottier at Paperbark Studios. The music for this episode was entirely produced by Bubba Beats and you can find him on SoundCloud or Instagram or Spotify. Just look for at Bubba Beats. If you like any of the sounds that you hear and you are a podcaster looking to make a true crime podcast, then you can purchase his sounds. All the links will be in the show notes. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Who Killed Leanne Holland and also at 610 Media Group. Also head to our websites and you can read our blogs and see pictures at whokilledleanholland.com and 610mediagroup.com. And please, if you're enjoying the show, share us with your friends and don't forget to rate and review us. It does help. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.